0: Okay, let's pray. This is our second Saturday session. Uh, We're just kind of ramping up and getting started, so let's pray. Father, I come before you um, this morning and bless these these parents who are here and the ones who are coming and the ones who cannot make it today, Lord. Um, And as I have prayed over them and continue to pray, I pray again this morning, God, I cry out to you on their behalf for wisdom, for knowledge, for understanding, for discernment, for sensitive, obedient hearts, Father. Because with that within them, they have everything they need for life and godliness and raising up the next generation to stand on their ceiling and go higher, Lord, not have to unravel where they've been. And um, Father, I just ask you now that today, and um, this bit of time that we have together, Lord, you would release your wisdom from heaven, um, your knowledge from heaven, your discernment from heaven, your understanding from heaven, and, and the power of grace for obedience and getting it and being able to do the doing, Lord. Um, let your your life-giving ways, um, the ways of the kingdom, be made known here manifest today and that will carry these parents um, to the next level of excellent parenting as your proxies over these beautiful eternal souls you have put in their care in Jesus name Amen Amen Okay so I wanted to focus today Well, we'll talk a little bit in just a second but let me introduce this to you. But um, What I wanted to focus on today is training and, um, versus random responses because you just get hit with something and then now what do we do, right? There's that in life and then there's training. And training ought to be 80% of your relationship with your child and the other 20% will fall just because you happen to have you know, something you haven't thought about yet, right? Um, so that also brings in something about habits. But I wanted to start us out again. Um, I, d- I do hope that, that you're praying and asking God to give you a whole different way of reading the scriptures. That you read the scriptures through a parenting grid when i first began to try and do that you know you'd read through the scriptures and there'd be maybe three and you'd pick out and you'd put your little in the margin parenting you know parenting and as years went by it's like half my bible had parenting by it because you just begin to see it with the eyes of the spirit and you go this is so relevant. This is so relevant. This is a tool I need to hold on to. This is my guidepost as to what I do. The word literally is a light to your path and a lamp to your feet in your parenting. But you have to ask God for him to illuminate the word from that perspective. Otherwise, you'll just blindly go through it and, you know, you won't see it. But God will give you eyes to see if you ask for that, okay? So it's just huge. It's your life's day. So let's just look back for a minute at, at, at um, Deuteronomy 6, right? So I, anyway, to say that, I'm, I'm hoping that you are really spending time meditating in, in um, Proverbs 8 because it is a lifeline to you. Um, I actually spent some time in Matthew 13, and the whole parable of the sower and I and just lights were going on all over the place about parenting out of the parable of the sower <laughs> because of the heart issue. You're talking about the heart, the state of the heart of the child. But what do you do as a parent that actually cultivates a heart? You can have a heart that's a path that has been walked on and can't receive the seed, can't receive the living Christ. Right? Remember we said parenting is, um, is like take your image from The job of John the Baptist to go before the Lord, prepare the way, bring down the mountains, bring up the valleys in the human soul of this little child, this little being that he's put in your care, so that he can just walk straight in and have no obstacles. You don't make it difficult for the Lord to get to your child, right? He says, Don't hinder the children from coming to me. And if you don't put up hindrances in their heart by how we why we shape their responses to life, their their actions and their attitudes. Right? If we are not forming hindrances in them, Jesus just said, if you don't hinder them, they're coming. I mean, I'm in there, right? But you put blocks, you're making it very hard for me. Thank you very much. Right? <laughs> I mean, I'll get there, but maybe I'll get to them. Like I've I've got a call last night from a friend of mine whose grandson just got. Um, they actually came and he's in prison and they came and said, we'll give you a plea bargain for 25 years versus life. And this kid was a delight as a child. I mean, he was just a delight. How did this delightful little child get to hang with a gang, be accused of attempted murder in the next 25 years of his life? He won't get out until he's 50 something, right? How does that happen? Well a lot of hindrances. And he didn't have them when he was a child. No child has them, right? (laughs) So, uh, very sobering. So anyway, back in Deuteronomy, um, it says, Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them. So first of all, I just wanna point out again, um, this business of these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. That's a way of God saying, I've written the law on your heart. That's the new covenant. It's not external to you, it's now internal. That's what you want as a parent. You want a child habitually just doing the right thing, responding the right way. Because the heart is right. So you go back, I'm just kind of jumping, I'm not thinking very straight. I didn't get to bed till about four either and then we had kind of an emergency thing last night. So forgive me if it's a little scattered, but I'll tie it back. All right. Oh so God. you go back you go back to the paths of of um Uh, the, the sower and the seed, right? You've got that trampled path. I mean, just start meditating on that one when you get home. Just go to it and just see what the Lord would give you. But you've got sort of the rocky path with the cares of the world and the distractions too many distractions too many choices with the child they're not going to be able to receive the word limit the choices get the rocky stones out you know put some borders so that you know, just your mind will start to go wow what insights that i have here for my motivations as a parent but also the preparation of the heart because everything is about the heart and the heart is essentially habits habits totally unconscious habits so this next couple of times we're together now on the next monday night that we meet i'm hoping that we'll be able to focus more on this whole thing of shifting the habitual inner being you know, shaping the habitual inner being of of our souls and it starts with you right so it says for you you shall love the lord your god with your all your heart with all your soul with all your might and these words that i command you today shall be on your heart you shall teach them to your children. You shall teach them diligently to your children. That word should never be ignored. You shall teach them diligently. That means, yes, even when you want to watch television and your child, you go, I don't care. Just hit your brother with a stick. <laughs> I, you know, I'm not getting up again, right? That is not diligence. <laughs> right? I mean, diligent is diligent. It literally means great inconvenience it means overcoming your tendency to want to let things slide that should not, you should not let slide. It means having the grace to do the doing, and God says, I've given you a lot more power inside of yourself than you think you have. Just draw from it, you know All right, so you diligently teach them to your child. Teach. when you see, teach, train. Sim, you know, synonym. Teach, train. You shall train diligently train your children. And you shall talk of these things, talk about the the um, laws, the commands of God, the ways of God, the ways of life. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. So um, these are going to lead to great success for your child. Um, and And so at some point, I hope you'll remind me if I forget, at some point in that continuum of our our six months together, I want to make sure we hit on this business of talk because there's a difference between train and talk and they're both your most powerful tools, right? So let me just give you a little glimpse of the talk part and we'll focus on the train part today. But the talk is, you have so much inside of you. God says, I have placed inside of you the mind of Christ. I have placed inside of you the wisdom. I have given you my heart. You have everything you need for life and godliness and knowing Christ. You have it there. You may have suppressed it. You may not obey it. You may, you know, whatever. But God said, I put my spirit within you, right? And the Holy Spirit is who? The Holy Spirit is your trainer, your teacher. Jesus says, it's "Better that I go away, because now you're going to have a trainer with you the whole all the time, so that trainer doesn't leave you. He teaches you everything, and tra- and that means he's training you in in life, training you in the ways of the kingdom, right? So, one of the things that you have when when he says you're going to train and you're going to teach these things to your children as your sitting on the couch, as you're walking in the park, as you're sitting at the dinner table, as you're snuggling on the couch, as you're, you know, taking a sticker out of their finger, as you're, you know, whatever life throws. It says, teach. It says, "Um, talk, talk, right? So the business, a difference between talking at children about stuff, and sharing the heart with children So one of the greatest tools that you have in addition to training is sharing your victorious process with your child about anything. So you're talking constantly of saying, whoa, we're in the park, we're playing. You know what? When we go home, the house is such a mess. I really don't even want to go home. I don't want to have to clean that house. You know what? I would love to stay in this park forever. And then the child's going to go here. Right? And you kind of go, but I'm thinking it through this way. And you're just sort of mumbling out loud, talking your process out loud, but I'm gonna go home and we need to get that house ready because dad's gonna come home and he doesn't like it when it, everything's all over the place. So, okay, this is what I'm gonna do. I am take a deep breath, straighten my shoulders. I'm gonna sing a little happy worship song and I'm gonna walk home and we're gonna get this done and, it's, you know, and it's, I'm gonna be able to do it fast. And, and we'll be so glad we got it done right. You just sort of, like, start mumbling your process of victory. You know, I'm sitting at this table, and um, when I was a kid, I never liked liver. And here we are, but it's a good organ meat. It's good for us to eat. And so I'm thinking, I'm going to get this down with a little applesauce. What do you think? You want to try some for you? You know, you know what I'm saying? You just... The stuff of how you process life. Don't assume your child has all that. So we'll go into that more. I'll bring it back up because there's a whole way of getting an internal way of being a trainer and a talker, which is a teacher, right? And, um, and how that works out well and, and the difference between good talk and bad talk with your children and what produces an inward change of heart and what just produces legalism, right? It's, it's huge, okay? All right, so everything, according to Deuteronomy 6, everything that the reason God has birthed this child through you or given you this child through adoption is he has put a soul on the earth that he has to be born here for such a time as this, and he's put him in your hands to be the steward of this child's life to be his proxy God's proxy you'll read in the scriptures as a father so God he wants you to parent in such a way that you are the face of God to that child that is very serious Jesus it says you look at Jesus you've seen the father Jesus says I'm in you the fathers and me were, you know, so we're able to say, "My child should be able to look at me and see the Father, see Jesus, see the Father." When we are Christians, we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Everybody around us has the right to experience an encounter with Jesus when they have an encounter with me. That's the gospel, right? And that's who we are to our children. So it's very serious, this, this, what? how do we steward? What does God do with me? That's what I do with my child. What does the Holy Spirit do with me as trainer? That's how I train my child. So that's where the word becomes your anchor, right? So everything about how you are interacting with your child in every way as God's proxy is, according to Deuteronomy 6, because the ultimate... Goal of God for this child's life is for them to love Him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's your job. <laughs> Don't get in the way and let that child's heart be wholly God's in every way. All right? So that means we have to look deeper um, and deep at, at character traits, at habits that make <coughs> and form a person after God's own heart. Right, we have to look at those things, and we cannot take them so easily. Parents look so lightly um, on behaviors that are thought to be childish. We just dismiss so much sinfulness if we want to call it that. If we don't want to call sin around a child, you know that's okay. Back up and just go. But we see such negative behavior, such wrong behavior, and we just go, "Well, that's typical of a child." Mary said. There's nowhere in Scripture where God gives age-graded things to say, okay, by the time you're seven, kindness ought to be in your heart. By the time you're 12, this ought to be in your heart. No, it's a big ball of fruit of the Spirit and all the qualities of a godly person. Right from the get-go, cultivate them. (laughs) Don't go downhill to have to dig yourself out of a hill. Mm -hmm. Start and go forward. So in, for example, the Lord's Prayer, when when Jesus says pray this way, he says pray. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. So, my paraphrase of that is: Let me learn by doing the right thing and not the wrong thing. <laughs> that's what I mean. That's what he's saying. He's lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. I want to learn by doing it right. There you go. Training. Train your child for success so you don't have to correct them. There should be a minimal amount of correction needed because you are an excellent trainer and a wonderful teacher, right? And so the child's heart is moving in the right direction. You're not having to recoup your losses and rebuild, right? All right, so, what exhortation number one, don't look lightly on what you call childish behavior because childish behaviors, um, we'll talk a little bit about this too, is childish behaviors cause neurological patterning in the brain. We live most of our lives by habits. Charlotte Mason, you know this, I've got it actually right here, I'm gonna pass it. Uh, Actually, I didn't bring one for you because I know you've got this book, and so what I want you to read for Monday night, when we, the next Monday night that we talk is, this one, I have one for you, and I have one for you, Julie. And this one is for things. Um, so this is just uh, a um, chapter out of Charlotte Mason's, Charlotte Mason's um, first volume on home education, and it's part three, and it's about habit being ten natures. Right? So <clears throat> when we tend to take childish behaviors um, and just dismiss them as childish behaviors, and assume that, as most people do, children will grow out of them. Thank God we get out of the terrible twos and it's just a year, or it's just you know, a short season, or thank God adolescence doesn't last forever. Oh, really? Oh, really? How many adults have you met that you go, you're just a, an out-of-control two-year-old? They never go away. How many uh, you know, people, I mean, they're saying now, I told you before, you know, adolescence goes into the 30s now. I go, oh, really? How did that get there? Well, just because we pushed it out, you know, we cultivated it. We now have a habit of an adolescent who's gonna die an adolescent, right? does not just go away. So simple little habits in a child, you have to have these eyes to see. You have to have the way, that's discernment, right? I can look forward and see if I do this, your wife, or you mentioned a strength that you have, you know, being able to say if we start here, we can't get there from here, right? So we're going to have to move to another place if we want to get here because this road won't get us there, right? So that's, that's a process of discernment where you're looking at, at a child's heart and going, this little non-essential, non-consequential habit in a child, what does that look like when they're 20? So we started out our first week together, right? And I had you do that exercise of, of doing those character traits. What are the character traits that make A great follower of Christ that make an intimate, you could say, what are the character traits that make an intimate friend of God, right? Do it again, over and over and over again. What are the quality traits that make um, a wonderful mate, a good marriage, right? What are the quality traits that make for a good worker, a good employer, someone in the workforce, right? Um, What are the quality traits that make a good citizen, right? We did those. So those four. So if you're doing that and you're looking at a child who, for example, is, um, let's take whining, okay, whining, because a bunch of you mentioned that and, you know, um, on concerns that you had and it's just a universal, right? Going to a grocery store, there is a whining child. (laughs) All right, so let's just deal with whining. Okay, it's a very common one. All right. Is there anything good about whining? Is there anything good about whining? Can you think of one good thing about whining?
1: It alerts you to a problem.
0: It alerts you to a problem. Who, you. alerts The whining alerts you to a problem. But is there anything good for the child in whining? All right. So maybe he can think of one. But... Maybe we, we'll we see. Well, no, like, I'm thinking, like, yeah. something
1: wrong in his heart. Right, so lie. you, so, for
0: you, you're so going, nice I've got me. a trigger. Yeah. That's good. But now we're looking at the child, yeah. the soul of the child. Is there anything good about whining? Is it a, is it a, um, a response, an initiation into life, a, a habit, a trait, uh, an attitude, a perspective that is going to lead them into greatness? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> okay. All right, so what's in it? Run whining, this is what, I'm, so I'm trying to give you a pattern of what you can do with different behaviors of your children, right, that we just will dismiss as childish. So take one, well like whining, and run it through a capital L light prism, okay, so you're running it through a prism, it spreads out into, what is inside of whining? What is, what is whining?
1: Missed expectations.
0: Missed expectations, okay, so... Now, I can miss expectations and not have that be whining. Is yes. there so another way we can, without expectations, it's um, an attitude about missing your expectation. So it, what's the attitude?
2: Requiring the, expectations.
3: What's entitlement.
0: Entitlement yeah. would be one that comes to me. Yeah. So it, whining is a huge entitlement in the soul. I am not getting what I want i want it now cheese 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 <laughs> you know kind of thing or you know come back or go away or you know was <laughs> my toy right and you go whoa entitlement you know how, how come this is right so what else in whining what's in it running through the prison anything else But what are they feeling? Yeah, yeah, actually, act, right. They don't have an other way, so now training is gonna come in. I'm gonna give you an alternative. But what's the motivation in their heart? What's going on in their heart that they are now coming out with the whining? So they, they, it's misplaced, express, as we go, don't express yourself that way. But what is it they're expressing? Entitlement, I deserve it, whatever it is I want now. From everyone all the time (laughs) and don't mess up, right? I mean there it comes. And also helplessness. I'm a victim. Johnny's dog my dog, mommy. You know? I'm a victim, that victim mentality, right? I'm always a victim. You left me. You hurt me. You didn't say it the right way. I didn't get what I wanted. You know, I'm just like being acted upon all the time. Poor me, and I'm so weak, and you're so mean, you know? I mean, it's helplessness, right? Um, Manipulation, right? So right in the heart of it is, if I just whine, I'll get what I want, right? I'm manipulating you. I'll just go... Mommy, mommy, mommy and front go, you. Okay, you know, here, yes, you can have the candy bar. Shut up in the grocery store, right? I mean, you say that all the time. No, you can't have it. All right, take it, right? Because the whining has come, right? Some total manipulation. Um, complete self-centeredness. Total obliviousness to how the stress levels are rising in everybody, or how everyone wants to get away from them, or you know, or or just the, the the destructiveness of the whining to everybody around them. So look at just those few things, and you go, whoa, life wreckers. I mean, how many adults do you know who walk around with a victim mindset, right? They're totally dysfunctional. Their marriages fall apart. They can't hold a job every time. They can't take any correction. They don't. They can't grow. They're just whoa, it's me. You know, they talked about me the wrong way. And if they would just give me a break, and you know, all of that—the manipulation, the self-centeredness, the um, the uh, entitlement mentality—those are total life destroyers, destiny crushers, right? And now we have gotten. We go. Oh, so we zoomed way out there and we're going bad, 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 bad. So then you retract back and you go, and here you find Johnny going, Mommy, I don't like eggs for breakfast. And you're going, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, because you're looking out there and you're going, this is not just a childish behavior. This is like destruction in the making. And, and people, other people look at you and go, it's just all children. Why? I'm going, all right, I don't know how that works for you. It doesn't work for me. I don't think that's God, I don't think that's biblical. I don't. I think that's a hindrance. I think that is a huge hindrance in the heart of this child and I'm given by God as a steward to make sure that whining is not habitual in the heart of my child because I run it through that prism and go, that is not a benign childish behavior. That is the root of something really destructive for their life, right? So now I get all the way back and now I go, Okay, but what do I do about the wine? <laughs> you know, how do I stop the wine? How do I shift the wine? How do I not cultivate the wine? Well, the very first thing that we have to realize, and it is hard. I said it last time, too, when we were together on either that Monday or that Saturday. If your child is misbehaving, you've got to just swallow your pride, and you honestly have to be able to say, I taught them to do that. I don't know how I taught you to do that. But you did not come out of the womb, rude. <laughs> <laughs> you did not come out of the womb, kicking me or you know, hitting your brother or or being so selfish, right? You just came out this neutral being that had the potential for good and the potential for evil. And now I see a lot that's wrong. How on earth did that happen? Well, guess what. Right? I can't tell you the shock that happened in my mind very early on in my parenting when I realized that. You know, looking at your child misbehaving and you're going, I taught you to do that. I do not know how, but I know I have taught you to do that. And then you begin to roll it back and you go, well, because I let this go and because I... I reinforced this and because I responded this way or I didn't initiate this way or I didn't train and I let you make your own choices or whatever. But bottom line is, if a behavior is going on in a child, you are cultivating it. You're you're doing something that is cultivating that in your child. So just get over your pride and get over your arrogance and get over your sense that you wanna be, think of yourself as a fantastic parent and go, every parent inadvertently Unknowingly, without malevolence in their heart, teaches their children destructive behaviors. And if you teach them, you can unteach them, and you can teach them the right ones. So that's the good news about the bad news, right? So that's what we're talking about in terms of training. All right. So any anything you guys want to talk about out of just that part before we'll go on, then we'll, we'll get into specifics on mealtime. I hope. So anything, any things that come up?
4: So, I know that I'm sure I've taught my children a lot about wine, but when one of my Mm-hmm. behaviors that we don't value mm-hmm. coming from our Christian school. And, yeah. Which I love these teachers, and they're on top of things, but they can't be on top of everything. And so that's the struggle I have is retraining what my 9-year-old is being trained by 9-year-olds. We, talk, we talked talked about it. Right.
5: That.
4: And so my husband texted me, he, he, we have to go back to school. We can't live this way anymore.
0: Mhm. So two things, two things about that, and I, I – I Very yeah, very thoughtful. So so one, we'll just kind of jump onto that because that's a that's a great um, insight. There's a principle you want to you want to always think principle. You want to know your philosophy, right? We talked about that. Without a vision, the people cast off restraint. You don't know what to do and what not to do unless you have a vision to know where you're going and a bit of a vision peripherally of where you don't want to go. You don't want to focus a lot on where you don't want to go, looking at that, I don't want my child to that. To, because honestly, you can drive over Devil's Slide and you can say, I know I can stay straight on this road if I just look at the ocean, and pretty soon you're going, oh my God, I'm going off the cliff. Right? Because you go towards what you look at. You don't want to look at the negative so much. Just enough to keep it to say, we're not going that way, but know where you're going, right? So you're looking at what you want to cultivate in your child, and there's, there's a principle here. And one is that, um, you know, as somebody who got my first son from being very scrawny to, you
5: know, uh-huh.
0: because <laughs> uh, to being buff, right? And, um, but the, the idea that you have to um, continue to work at something, right? And if you have a child, for example, who... Um, who let me just get my thoughts together if I can all right the idea the principle behind this what I'm saying is that you put a child okay here's where I was going with the gym you would not take my son who just came in his very thin form and put him under a 400 bar pound bar press and say go for it right you'd crush him and because he couldn't cope his body would, you know, couldn't do it, right? But you do it consistently and you build up as to what he's capable of doing. He learns by success. I can do this weight and now I can, if I push myself, I can do this weight. But you never do the crushing thing. You never do the, okay, sit here until you're blue in the face and, you know, start. If it takes you the rest of your life, sit under this 400-pound press. You never do it. It's stupid. So with children, why do we do that? There, If you can always observe a child, you never put them out in other environments until they are the influencer and not the influenced. Simple principle, if you obey it, it will serve you well. Wherever you are putting your child out as the steward of this child's life, make sure that they are strong enough in who they are So that they are the influencer instead of the influenced. Now, remind me at some point, we can't go into it today, but a big part of that is knowing the difference between self-esteem and identity. Self-esteem will always, if you're you're trying to build your child's self-esteem, they'll all, you absolutely set them up to be influenced. They're going to suck a rock to get somebody to give them self-esteem. A kid with drugs, a girl with sex, you know, a a kid with whatever they want. If you're working on self-esteem, that word is not in the Bible, right? So self-esteem is gonna set your child up to be an influenced person their entire life. Identity, on the other hand, is a biblical word and will remind me sometime to talk about the difference (laughs) because it's relevant here. So in terms of what you're talking about with school, if you're going to put your child in somewhere, that environment needs to be your proxy, the proxy of the proxy, right? So you know the values, you know what's going on, or you have no business putting your child there. I mean, this is what is so concerning to me is how easily we put our children under people's influence in their formative years. It's like you've got a bonsai, you know, you've got a a bush hair, tree that you want to bonsai and you see it's gonna look like this, it's gonna be so beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. And you begin to put the little straps around it and you've got it and then every time you turn around you go, here, Mrs. So-and-so, here, you know, so-and-so, take care of my bonsai tree. And you get the tree back and everybody cut the the cords off it and the thing is back where it was. Meanwhile, the trunk is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and can't be shaped anymore. I don't get it myself. You know, if you know where you want to go, then don't shoot yourself in the foot, right? So you come back, and now no environment is gonna be perfect and neither are you. So we're not demanding of other environments what we're not ourselves. Everything will be imperfect. It's how substantially imperfect it is. And if you have your child going out where they're coming back influenced um, versus being the influencer, I wanted my kids. I mean, I, when I saw that happen, my husband and I looked at each other and we said, Okay, this is not gonna happen. Our son is not gonna come home from their house talking like Billy. Billy is gonna talk like our son, (laughs) right? Or it's not happening, right? So we did two things. We made our house the center of the neighborhood when we were living in a a tract area. We did everything we could to make our house the place that every kid in the cul-de-sac wanted to live, and they did. They wanted to live at our house because I thought, I wanna know what's going on, I want to see if my kid's the influencer or the influenced. I want to know the dynamic. I'm not trusting that to anybody. And besides that, I know the rates on pornography. I know the rates on what goes on, and I don't know what their opinion, nice, you know, Millie down the block and Johnny, her husband. I don't know you, you know? (laughs) I know you like on the surface, but I don't know the you, you, only God knows. And meanwhile, I'm not putting my kid there because I don't know what you're going to expose them to, right, Till I really, really know you. Thank God for family that lives close. So, um... That's so why this house,
2: our, this property has a zip line.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's right. Winnie the oh, Pooh, all the kids goodness. are doing the birthday party here, you know. I mean, absolutely, that's what you do. You just carry that on and let the grandparents keep going, right? So you, you, you do that so you put your child in the environment where you are training them to be the influencer, right? Now, that said, I can bet even money I would bet a lot of money on the fact that some of that negative attitude is coming from you and your husband. I can absolutely tell you, and I don't know you hardly well, you know, at all, right? But I can just tell you as a universal, you'll look and say, they got that from Johnny, I know they got that from Johnny, and you will not be aware of the fact that you are projecting onto that child despair, negativity, I can't do it, it's coming from you. The vast majority of it is coming from you. So, I can tell you I was absolutely shocked at some things when I would go, where did he get that attitude? Where did he get that perspective? You know, I'm looking around outside like, who is influencing my son, right? And then three weeks later, you're doing something and you're going, oh, cool. <laughs> He got it from me! Look at what I just said! Look at what I just did! Look at the attitude that's in my heart! And I never knew it! Your children are a mirror to you, alright? So if you have a child who is is slamming a door, you have a child that is going, no! You know, I mean, I want it, want it, no! And they stamp the foot and they whatever! You can say, where did they get that? How did they make up that behavior? But I would bet you even money at some point you got exasperated at that child and said, you will stop that right now, you know? I mean, or slammed a door and just said, you stay in your room, right? Kind of thing. We're not, we're totally unconscious of it, but that kid is not unconscious of it. So the next time they go, well, how do you exert authority when you want to be in charge? You put your hands on your hip, you stamp your foot, and then you slam the door, right? (laughs) And you maybe only did it once, Right? But where did they get? Where, they don't miss anything, where did they get it? You see a child who scowls all the time. You know, you're going, how did they get so scowly? Hey mom, hey dad, like look in the mirror every once in a while, get a camera. One of those, you know, you got them to check out the criminals in your house? Just keep one running so you forget about it and then watch it, right? God, I never knew I scowled so much, you know? Okay. So those two things, check out what you're what you're projecting to, out of your own life that has to be written in your soul first, right? The optimism, the freedom. I mean, I can tell you if you guys are super optimistic in your home, if you're the possibility thinkers, if you're the up, you know, the, hey, that doesn't bother us, you're not going to have a scowler in your home. Most likely, if he has a tendency, he's going to get picked up by the wind of the spirit, and that's going to shift pretty easily. But You've got to watch both those those things. And I would be happy to talk with you more about the the school options. Yeah. yeah, yeah, what your options are. Yeah. Yeah, and it gets to be a vicious cycle. Everybody goes down, yeah. Okay, Um, let's, let's, um, I just want to, I want to read you a couple of, okay, I wanted to read you, I just went on to get some quotes on um, habits, and so um, there's that wonderful one that says, um, sow a thought and you reap an act. Sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. So it's one of those things where you're tracing back and saying, okay, if we start here, where do we get to? You can run it in reverse like a zipline, you know, back and forth, which direction you're going in. But it means a thought, just a thought. Charlotte Mason has this beautiful quote where she said, it is the the most important thing that we can teach a child is that their greatest responsibility in life is the acceptance or rejection of initial ideas. That is so profound. If there's one thing that we need to learn in our life, it is the the absolute importance of the acceptance or rejection of initial ideas. Take every thought captive for Christ. Right? So, other, thought, other quotes on habit. Um, the only way we could remember would be by constant rereading, for knowledge unused tends to drop out of mind. Knowledge used does not need to be remembered. Practice forms habits, and habits make memory. Hab- habits make memory unnecessary, excuse me. The rule is nothing. The application is everything. So, the wisdom of saying a habit is—you you can't constantly be rereading something. Something has to get in there and stick. So that I don't—if I have to think about walking upstairs all the time, like if I had brain trauma, right—and now I have to relearn. Speech and where my articulators go. I have to relearn how to move, get this movement from my brain down to my leg that's going to lift this foot, that's going to bend that ankle, that's going to get me on the stair, that's going to transfer my weight, right? You have, you're doing that constantly. If you had to live like that, you would expend so much energy, you would die very young. Literally, you would burn out. You couldn't expend that much energy and survive, right? Things, the, the vast majority of your life is all done on habit. It all becomes unconscious, right? Except the new things that you're learning. So, what does that say about training a child? And you're just going, I, I mean, it's so, I, it's, it's um, unfortunate when parents are, here's a child who's five, four even, you know, I mean, and, and then later, and, and they, a child will not remember to say please when they ask for something food at the table, let's go to the mealtime, right, they don't say please, you go, how many brain cells does this child have, and what can they actually remember, and they can't remember to say please, so you've taught them not to remember to say please, that's a fact, you've taught them not to remember, you've taught yourself to remember, to say, you need to say please. So you've got a wonderful habit there that you've got that just comes out and goes, need to say please, need to say please, didn't say thank you, right? <laughs> like, Hello, my name. It's like a parrot, right? The parents, parents are trained to remind the child, and the child has learned a habit to say, I won't do anything until I'm reminded. Bad parenting. <laughs> right? And we can break that one in one instant, right? Okay. Um, If you are rude, cynical, habitually sarcastic, or pessimistic, your life options are going to be very limited. Roll it back. What behaviors in your children are cynical? You know, what behaviors in your child are rude, right? Rudeness is not just a child hasn't learned a right behavior yet. Rudeness is something you taught them to do, right? So that's not going to serve them well, Your options, your life options are very limited. And so you're looking at these childish behaviors and going, no, that's not okay," Because God has very high designs for those children, right? Um, A nail is driven out by another nail. Habit is overcome by habit. So when you think about training, you're thinking about training in a habit while you're taking out a habit. So nature abhors a vacuum. You know, you suck something out, something's going to suck in, right? So you're always doing two things at the same time. If you're correcting a behavior, you're correcting that behavior to remove it, but you're at the same time putting in a positive behavior, right? So a habit is going to be changed because you're building another habit. And habits, there's a bunch of good ones in there, but I'm not going to read them through. Um, All right. So let's just talk on this thing for a minute. Repeated behaviors create neurological tracking in the brain that then um, progressively and incrementally, sometimes fairly quickly, just relegates that behavior to an unconscious habit. I mean, asking a child, why did you hit him? And he says, I don't know. And you go, liar, liar, house on fire. You know, say something. Why did you hit him? And you want the child to say, I hit him because. And then give you this, you know, thing. He goes, I don't know. That's an honest answer. You know what? I just reacted. He took my toy. I punched his lights. You know? I mean, he doesn't even know how to say that. You just go, somebody does something, you just go, "Ah," like that. Right? And he did. He did. Why? Because he's done it before. And his brain has a neurological track that when this happens, this triggers this. Why do ch- children whine? Because they just put a rut in a road like our, you know, our wet thing out here. You drive a car through there right now, and the whole thing is going to be a rut that any time a car goes in there, it's going in the rut. It's going to follow the rut. You see a road that's been well-traveled, and, and there's a hump in the middle, and the tracks are here, Right? Well, woe be it to the car later on who wants to get out of the track (laughs) because it's, you know, heck of hard to try and figure out how to, you know, make a left turn and get out of that track and onto some other high ground. That's neurological tracking. And, you know, you can look at it in a scientific way, but I'm just giving it to you in a very practical way. Every time your child does something that has put... One roll roll through there, you go through it twice, you go it through it three times, you now have a well worn road with tire tracks and a hump in the middle and humps on the side, and that is going to go there, so when you want to catch the little foxes with little children, you start out, you want to catch the little foxes and um, and it, and if you don't, you've got to realize that there is whatever they did, it is. Much more likely that they're going to do it again. And if they've done it again, it's double, it goes up logarithmically, you know? It's twice as, it's four times as, it's 16 times as likely, you know, that they're going to do it again. So being able to be diligent to shape the behaviors, to shape the attitudes, and you remember with a child, you're not shaping their, you're not um, expecting a child to make an intellectual choice. You will talk with their language far exceeds their ability to control, exercise self control through reason. They will act very, they will speak very reasonably. You'll be able to carry on a fairly adult conversation with a lot of three year olds, two year olds, right? You can do it. They're not going to make decisions based upon rational thought, they're going to make decisions based upon gut reaction and habit. Habit formation. Habit formation is your absolute lifeline to early childhood development. And habit formation happens through training. Alright, training is not responding to an action, a negative action of a child. If a I, if I, if child does something wrong, and now I respond in some way, good, bad, or the ugly, however I respond to deal with it at the moment, that's not training. That's reaction and response. Hopefully, you're rising above reactiveness, and in the identity of God, you're an initiator. God never, we said this before, God never reacts to us. He always looks at what is and initiates something life-giving. All God's ways are life. So he's never reactive. He doesn't go, you said this, well, I'll say that, you know, you did this, well, I'll do that. Well, he's not reacting. He's not reacting. You're not that, he is authority. He is authoritative. He is not challengeable. He's, he's not in a war to prove himself, right? (laughs) That he is in charge and you will do it and keep your place. None of that. He's, Um, It just initiates from a position of um, authority, right? So training is taking a child who you might, it might even, the the things that you train can come right off of your character traits list. I can't tell you how important that is to have those lists before you as your vision. Every time you're reading the scriptures and you see a character trait that is life-giving, that took a bad king and turned him into a good king, you know, because he switched from this to that, right? Just write those traits down. Write those attitudes down. Write those perspectives down. You go, that's what needs to be in the heart of my child, right? And when you see the destructive ones, the ones that God is saying, you know, it's an abomination, whatever. Get those down. To get the negatives, the positives and the negatives, right? So you know what you're training into and you know where the warning signs are. The whining is your is your thing. So the negative, anytime you see the negative, that's your clue. Ha ha! I have not filled that void with this. Right? And then you go, Train, get your training hat on and there you are. 90% of what you do, I'll change that number probably sometimes, I'll say 85 or 40, yeah. but anyway, the vast majority of what you need to be doing with your, with your parenting is training your child before they have faced something. So, um, Let's talk about training in meal times. Okay, all right. So let's talk about meal times. Now I gave you um, an assignment that was, a, um, I think, a really interesting assignment. I hope you found it interesting to be able to look at the character traits that we put down, right? We had, um, I still haven't gotten the ones from Ian or the others. I'll just have to write myself. But um, so let's just take the ones that were the followers of Christ or others. We talked about, about these character traits of loving God, good listener, obedience, perseverance, patience, prayerful, forgiving, sacrificing, charitable, Dead to self, I added a few, self-controlled, empathetic, faithful, self-aware, honest, loving others, loving self, caring, kind-hearted, disciplined, um, submitted to God, which really is submitting to authority, right, peacefully, um, evangelistic, um, peaceful, not reactive, generous, joyful, giving heart, selfless, humble, thankful. All right. We could go through here, just this list alone, let alone the other lists and then the composites that you're going to add more to out of the scriptures. And we could take probably half this list. If you never, the assignment I gave you, I said, let's pretend you never, the only time you have with your child ever is mealtime. And you have been given the task by God to train this child up in... Godly behavior, to love the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength so there's no offenses, no hindrances in the way. So these characteristics are what you are to cultivate in the heart of a child. You could do half this list through meal times, Meal prep, meal participation, and meal cleanup. You could, you could hit so much of all the lists that you have in just that. So what I did for you... Is to work up. This is so such a simple little thing. I hope you don't go just too silly and simple. But this is something just called intentional parenting. That's what we're talking about here. Talking about now. I want to just go back and go. How come my child is this or how come that? I want to. I want to intentionally be parenting. Right. Well. So you just write this little thing on intentional parenting. Monday, such and such a date. Right. And down here, you've got three sheets of paper. One is called Home Activities. What are the the things that we're going to be doing today, right? We're going to, and and you're, you're writing them all down. We're going to, the child, if it's a young child, you're going, the child's going to have to get dressed, and you have to do the morning routine of blah, 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 right? Then there's going to be interaction with siblings, playing with siblings while I get breakfast, right? Then there's eating together breakfast, then there's getting ready to get out the door to go to school, then there's the road to school. You know, just break it down, all the things you're gonna be doing at home, or. Or, um, you know, we've got to run to the grocery store, we're going to do whatever, right? But you're putting down, but mostly like the activities you would be doing with the child. We're going to read some books, we're going to go to the park, we're going to do something. And then over here, so you just have that listed down. Over here, you're going, what character traits and behavioral habits can I train through this Deuteronomy 6 day of being with my child? For whatever part of it, you know, you're together, right? So now you're doing Deuteronomy 6. He's saying train and teach your child while you're walking in the park, while you're getting dressed, while they're doing it. Everything is a training experience or a teaching experience or a corrective experience. You've got three categories, right? So you want the majority to be training and teaching and teaching the least to be corrective because lead me not into temptation. I want to learn by doing what's right. If you're doing these two well, you're going to have very few of these corrective ones. Right? All right. So you just do that. You do that for activities for home for any given day, and you're doing this. People the child will relate to. What character traits and behavioral habits can I train when they are going to be with Miss Sarah, when they're going to be, uh, meet the... the we're going to go and over to my friend's house or something, right? You're cheering. The people they're going to meet, they're going to have a playmate over. What can I be training? What am I thinking? I'm working this list all the time. Now, I learned this because of being a homeschooler. And the homeschooling aspect for me, what it triggered for me was, I believe that children should not be doing a lot of formal education until they're about eight, until they're neurologically ready to do it. Does that mean they're not learning? No, absolutely not. It means they're learning everything, but they're not learning it through the rigidity of what actually stresses them. So they're learning in a natural form. So this makes so much sense to me because in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, by the age of five, I want my child to know their colors and I want them to know their numbers and not only their numbers, but I want them to be able to... So I've got my whole whole, um, thing inside of me that I'm saying these are the abilities that I want my child to have. But as I'm going through life and we're in the park and we're starting to look at rocks and I'm going, ha ha, sneaky! in, we're going to count the rocks. We're going to take a few rocks away. We're going to throw a few rocks away. Now, how many are left? You know, you're setting the table. You're going, oh, we have 12 people for dinner. You know, what does that mean altogether if we add this place with that place? You know, so you're just teaching it during life. That's what Deuteronomy 6 is, and oh, you're doing that now with the soul issues, the habit formation of the heart, because you know where you're going. You've memorized this list, and you can work it in for everything, right? And, and does that make sense, right? So now I'm putting down home activities, I'm putting down people the child is going to relate to, and places that we're going to go. So let's say um, so you just do this for your day, the same way you do your calendar. You just do this as a mom and you or a dad, right? You'd write down for you, do it for yourself. This is what I'm going to be with my child. This is what we're going to be doing. What am I thinking in my mind? What am I conscious of that I am training into my child so I can take advantage of every opportunity? All right. So, let's talk about mealtimes. And what it is that, how you can train any of those character traits and habits of the heart that are God's design and desire for your child. Just name any off your list and talk to me about how the context of meal prep, meal time, and meal cleanup can be a training, experience, a cultivating of any of those things. Anything come to mind?
3: So I think we were thinking about the um, kind of, you know, working against the entitlement piece and working toward the sort of participatory piece. Um, And I think the the one thing we tried so far um, is having him set the table and be like a really, you know, part of each end of the experience, not just the eating part. I think that that's, for him, ownership is actually really, really um, is a natural inclination. He likes to be, have a job. He likes to have that sort of sense of ownership. So I think for us, that's the, the counterpoint to the entitlement a little bit.
0: Mm-hmm. It's a great counterpoint to entitlement. Mm-hmm. It's a great counterpoint to entitlement. And I can tell you, a child comes into the world with an absolutely insatiable desire for competence. That child is trying to figure out that baby, how do I get my hand so I can see it? How do I get my hands in my mouth? I mean, everything about a child's existence, everything about a human being's existence, but especially a child's existence, is they are absolutely insatiably obsessed with wanting competence. When we begin to throw roadblocks to their getting competence. By doing for them what they should do for themselves, they get angry, they get entitlement, We we, because we're taking them out of the road they should be on and cultivating that. I mean, a one-year-old who's walking can pack a spoon to a table and put it on the table. Right, And a one-year-old can take a spoon off the table and be guided to the kitchen to put it away while everyone's putting something away. And they will not be whining. They will be loving the competence, the gaining of the competence. Where we stop is when their process to gaining competence becomes an irritant to us or becomes inconvenient, or we don't have enough time to orient in that direction. So we begin to say, you go sit and watch, you know, um, Winnie Pooh on television while mommy cooks dinner, right? Because it is just really hard to have a young kid in there while you're trying to cook dinner. Well... Diligence. Well, sacrifice. Well, you've got more in you than you think you do. Slow it down, mom, right? I mean, not every day. Sometimes you just go, can't do it, right? But we say can't do it a lot more than we can't do it. And we get mad when our kids say, I can't, you know? They go, how did you get to say I can't? Because you say I can't all the time. And it's in their soul, too, you know? I can't have you here right now. They go, oh, yes, you can, you won't. Right? And we say that to our children a the time, don't say I can't, I won't, because you're making a choice, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're making the choice. <laughs> little mirrors. Right. So, um, okay, so the idea of that right there, you've got breaking an entitlement spirit. An entitlement spirit comes with somebody who's just played um, the prince, who's just played, you know, been in the position of the little princess. Well you know, why wouldn't they act like a brat when they've just been served and, and do you want this much on your plate, dear? And how about this? No, that's not your favorite? Oh, okay. I'm going, come on, it's food, you know? And, and some gratefulness and thankfulness. And, and so if you cultivate, honestly, that, you, you kind of look at that and you say, so what is gonna break the back of entitlement? So you started now and said, Well, here's I can run entitlement through a prison and go, what feeds it? What cultivates it? What fertilizes entitlement, right? Being served all the time, being pampered all the time, being taught, I mean, they have more choices and more opportunity to express their opinion than anybody else in the house that two-year-old does or that five-year-old does or that six-year-old does, right? Nobody else gets the privileges they get. Well, no wonder they feel entitled. Stop giving them the privileges. I mean, treat them like a regular human being instead of like this coddled princess. You know, that if you want, I mean, how, how many of us, even with young children, you put this baby in the high chair, and the baby starts to go, meh, me! You know, while you're trying to get them to eat, and you're going, just a minute, just a minute. Okay, okay, mommy's coming, mommy's coming. I'm going, what did you just teach that child? Snap, do it, mom. You know, like, oh, I'll deal with that one when they're 16, right? I mean, you just get that little baby out of that high chair and go, don't eat until you're quiet, you know? No, and you can use your wait for mommy over here, right? And you go back, and the moment they're quiet, they go, oh, quiet people can eat in their high chair. And then you go, you know, and you break it, and you come something. But to let them run, things like that. So you work for competence, you work to... Now, give them an alternative, right? So, children can help plan meals. They, very young children can be, decide to get them a list of vegetables that you're all going to like, and they've got pictures, you know, and they're deciding and saying, okay, let's plan the menu with mom, right? And they figure out carrots are for Tuesday and broccoli is for Wednesday, kind of thing, right? And um, so, so, what else? What else can you break the back of entitlement with? Get them out of themselves and into competence. They'll always choose competence. They'll always choose competence because it's an obsession, a godly obsession. One
4: thing, um, when I had, we talked about allowing your children to cook with you, and I have quite an age range, yeah. and they all want to help at the same time, but one in particular, I finally started letting my five-year-old help. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. not that, I just, like you said, I am want to done, yeah. but he just wanted to be, so I. Yes. Because he's happy, mm-hmm. he's like, It's a mess, you know, yes. but he actually loves to cook. Yeah. And so the other two, the littlest one will kind of hang out and throw stuff
0: places, but the older one doesn't care as much. Yeah. So in a way, they're not arguing. So it's mm-hmm. kind of calm the whole environment before mm-hmm. dinner, which you thought would be the opposite. Now here's, here's a hint. It's absolutely, and I, Susan Sanchez, who couldn't be here today, um, she sent me a, she uh, texted me a picture of her kids at the kitchen sink, you know, and she had, we had just had this, this her, her kind of private session, you know, and we're talking a little bit about all the the food thing and the eating thing and the entitlement, whatever, and it was just, it like flipped her whole time around with her kids. I mean, the male just, I'll let her tell her own story of, of some things that just shifted, you know, where now it's a delight and everybody's participating and people are not complaining. You know, because they've, they've been a part of it all. Now, one thing you're going to have run into now, if you just start running it ahead and you go, okay, so my little one is going to come up here and want to start, and then they're done. It's like, so now, what about diligence? What about faithfulness? What about letting your yes be yes and your no be no, right? So I'm going, hmm, character traits. I'm just, I'm working them in my mind all the time. So I say to that child ahead of time, you want to help mommy? I'd love to have you help mommy because this meal is for all of us and we should, we should all be working. You know, we'll all get this ready, right? Um, but here's something. Remember, if you start something, you have to finish. Even if you get tired in the middle, you have to finish. Let you start, okay? Okay, right? So that means, you know, you might not want to finish at the end, but you will finish, right? Okay, so now only give them a little thing. If they're gonna cut a potato or they're gonna, you know, be chopping on something, give them a little bit that they can finish in a little bit, proportional to what you know they can have. Leave them laughing, get them done, you know, give them something they can get done and be down down with. And then call them back for the next thing or, you know, whatever, get in your mind the levels of participation that are age-appropriate mm-hmm. and and stretch your child's attention factor, but set them up, and that's what I just said there, that was training. That was saying, this is what you're gonna be doing, let me get you set for success, right? Because I don't wanna have to be the one who says, no, you can't get down, you need to finish this, right? No, I don't want it, that's my, my worst backup fallback plan. I wanna have them prepared for success, so I think ahead, what am I training? Stick to a task until you finish. And then I have, as Charlotte Mason says, I have the option of um, arranging the atmosphere, the context in which that's going to happen, so that my child can actually accomplish it successfully. So I'm not going to say, here, scrub the floor (laughs) for three hours, kind of thing. Where it might be, here's a square of the tile that's yours. Right? Okay. So I'm setting, I'm training. Okay. So pick another one. What else can you... So breaking entitlement. What else can you do to to pull in positive behaviors? Mealtime. I'll read you some more. Get these in your mind. Right? Good listener. Obedience. Perseverance. We just dealt with that one a bit. Patience. Perseverance could be there's five place settings to put out on the table. Probably tired by three. The joy has gone out of the task, right? But we have two more place settings to do. So you're going to have to figure out how do you guide? How do you work? How do you say? But there's two more. Let's keep going, right? And not nagging, but getting that going. OK, so patience. Um, how about self-control, how about dead to self, how about loving others, caring, kind hearted, how these are all things you can do right around mealtime. Start with patience. Give me some ideas.
2: it. she can physically see when it's coming to the end and when she's almost there, just kind of trying to encourage her through the way. Like, you're halfway there, you're almost there, just a little bit longer, because mm-hmm. she tends to want to jump out of the chair or fall on the floor, especially if Dawson's on the floor, too. And so mm-hmm. that seems to be um, helping her with sitting there longer and longer periods
0: of time. Yes. Yeah. yep, great tool, great tool because the kids get that reference point. They're not just being told something nebulous, but they have a reference point that they can relate to in time frame. Now, take that behavior. Your goal is to have her be able to sit at the table. So to sit at the table, there has to be a peacefulness. There has to be a changing gears. There has to be something that's going to help her have motivation to stay at the table. Um, Staying at the table doesn't mean just like being locked in a closet. It's not just for the sake of staying at the table. The reason you want her to stay at the table is because loving relationships happen around the table. Conversation that brings you wisdom happens around the table. Joy and laughter happen around the table. All these godly things happen around the table. And you don't want her to miss that. You don't want her to be doing something lesser and and less valuable. You know, just lesser on a scale from one to ten. Um, you want her to be doing the high and the holy and the valuable, right? So now let's go and say how else we've got, we start at that, that point of saying we're gonna make a demand on her, which if you make a demand on a child and it feels like to them that they're gaining competence, you're a team, you're helping a child gain competence, you'll always be on their side, they'll always be on your side. So if they feel like it's your demand and you're trying to gain your competence by making them behave. They're out of it, right? But so you're always going to have to be thinking, what is it my child will desire to be competent about? What would what would what would play on that natural urge for competence, right? So you can be thinking about that specifically for Ellie, right? What is it that she l- likes to do? Now some children will really rise to the occasion of learning to use the knife and fork properly, right? And even those maybe who might eat with a a (laughs) knife and a fork, but but even um, say in the afternoon, so you're going, okay, so we're working on mealtimes, we're working, I've got this thing, I know my goals, I know why I wanted to be able to sit at the table, what things are gonna help make that increase, that, that goal get better, right? So one of those things is appeal to competence, so a child, you can have them in the afternoon and go, let's just set the table, and you are just the right age. You are just so competent. You're just so capable of being able to cut with a knife. You know, Because everybody will say to a child, oh, you can't touch that knife. So give them a sharp knife. I mean, you're right there. They're not going to run it through their heart, right? <laughs> I mean, give them, give them a knife. So they go, Woo, sharp knife. And you're going, this is very sharp. I know you know how to use this, right? And they go, Yes, I do. You know, <laughs> and so you're appealing to their competence, right? And then you just take clay, clay like plasticine clay, right? And you're going, okay, let's make some meat, right? They love to play after. It. So you make your little meat patty and you put it on the plate, right? And she'd so get like, into this. Like,
2: like spent an hour
0: the other day with yeah, with a knife, <laughs> yes. And They're so really- now thousands of pieces on the table exactly <laughs> exactly so now you're going to add a little more to it you're going to pretend that it's the food right so this is how you're going to do it and the fork goes this way and the whatever and you just short and sweep or you're doing that you go you can do that for daddy tonight right don't we won't tell him we won't tell him but you just get there and you you just start using your knife right okay? and make sure you cook something soft that they can actually <laughs>
4: cut steak. like steak steak yeah like
0: yeah <laughs> Whining, <laughs> ah,
4: Whining, whining! It isn't working!
0: <laughs> so, you know, they know they're going to cut the soft carrots or they're going to get something. Tell them, you know, what they're going to cut. Right. Now. So now she's engaged at the competence level, okay? <clears throat> so ideas like that, what other level can you draw her in now that you're going to have the this, being able to sit at the table? A couple of the ideas that I just shoot out, you know, just shout out to you guys. Last time would be applicable to here. No one to email, I sent out. I'm
3: trying to think about one around conversation and like relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have a concrete one, but um, mm-hmm. I think that, uh, and Will's left You mean like time. asking, like inquiring? Mm-hmm, inquiring, yeah. So, so, kind of, I guess, um, showing the value of what the design of, of breaking bread together looks like as a family. Mm-hmm. and um, yeah, modeling what that relationship building is, so it's not it's not a a, um, a mandate that doesn't have a, an aim behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like specific questions that we could ask, or ways to you know, we can ask things about you know the day, or like tell Daddy about what we done about what, you know what we saw at the park today, or the talk about the worms and ask questions and things like that. But mm-hmm. anything along those lines.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, drawing and conversation, conversation obviously, if that's a you want to cultivate that as something they value.
3: Because um, I think then the negative kind of what we're trying to work on is also, like, listening. Listening and being respectful. Good listening, with, yes. Yeah, with everyone so that, you know, he's not just talking and not being aware that he's, you know, interrupting somebody yeah. or things like
0: that. So, so one of the ways to do that, and every family is different. I mean, you have to do what you're comfortable with because you start doing something you're trying to work on your task, and it's not who you are. The kids are just going to go so weird yeah. out here. You know, I mean, it's got to feel good to the to you. It won't feel good to them. But some families can very easily pull off the thing of we're all going to say something we're thankful for, or we're all going to name our favorite animal and how would we play with that animal or you know I mean you just go so now the child so something in the rhythm of just a little bit maybe you're talking like you got your little timers but so in your mind you're thinking <clears throat> okay two rounds around of something that everybody so they have to speak listen listen speak listen listen, listen you know <clears throat> kind of thing you can do that so you're cultivating the conversational kind of thing having children now Eating together is about eating. It's about food and conversation. All these things. So we've talked about this, you know, with a, with a number of you guys. So having children come to the table hungry is really important initially. Later, when they're older, that's one thing because they've got the habits of the conversation. They've got the habits of the staying put, the whatever. But your greatest hook. For mealtimes is a child who wants to eat because they're hungry. I mean, and if you've got a child who really wants to be fool around and and not engage in the social context of mealtime, have them come to the meal starving. I mean, really hungry. Like the last meal they had was noon and it's now six o'clock. And that kid is primed to eat, right? So they're going to be there hungry, and a good portion of what they're going to do is eat while you're talking, while you're whatever. Once they start to the, the edge gets off the hunger, then you work on the conversational part or whatever. It's your greatest tool for good mealtimes is to have your children actually come hungry. And so the American thing of the snacking, you know, all the time, it causes a lot of havoc at mealtimes because kids, honestly, yeah, I mean, you're thinking, it's five o'clock you should eat, you have to get to bed, you know at seven, got to get this in your stomach or whatever you're not going to have enough. Did you have enough calories or whatever? I mean, that whole thing of continually having the kids like munch through the day, I think it's just as my opinion, everybody comes up with their own style but I look at it and I go, "It's a formula for really, really bad meal times, Because the child comes and they go, "I could care less if I eat this food, because in another hour, I know I'm going to get something else." You know, so I'm not motivated to eat because I get food all day long. Mealtimes are not about, I've had to wait from breakfast to lunch and lunch to dinner, right? It's, I'm eating all day, so what's new? I'd rather get down and play with my toys. So, so your greatest thing is honestly, you know, having the children be hungry. I feel like they're hungry all the time. They'll eat no matter when I feed them. Then, if you have a child and their throat growth, a growth spurt and you're just going, ugh, you know, and I'm worried about the blood sugar kind of thing, then that way to do that, really, is to have times what that snack times are like. If you know you eat at 8 in the morning because of work or whatever, you know you're going to eat at 8, you know, then set your meal time at 12 or whatever and your dinner time at 5 or 6, whatever you're doing. And then in there, in your own mind, you go, the snack time is going to be at 2, or the 2.30. The snack time is gonna be at 10.30 in the morning, but it isn't all the way through there, and they know they're gonna have to wait for their snack, right, they're going, Mom, I'm hungry. You go, okay, snack time's 10.30, right? So their body gets on a a thing, their soul settles down, everything good happens in a child's heart when you can get their body, soul, and spirit in line with habit, habit of time, Habit of action, habit of thought, habit, all of that. Habits in these early years for children is absolutely your mainstay of what you're trying to do. And you do it body, soul, and spirit. It totally
3: lines up with dog training. I told you.
1: Yeah. The best 15 minutes to train the dog is put the food down and make him sit and then do the 15 minutes of training. And then there he is so eight.
0: much about child-rearing that, that parallels... <laughs> Animal training, right, and I have book. learned not to. I've learned not to bring it up because parents can't handle it. Just not like
1: dogs, but it's totally awesome.
3: He has a book already. Everything yeah. I need to
0: know about parenting, I learned by training my dog. Hey, training my dog. That's it. That's it. Yeah. I don't know about the forgiveness part, and yeah, we have to, but some of the things.
1: Yeah.
0: Kingdom dogs. Yeah. Kingdom dogs. Prayerful. Yeah. Yeah. Evangelistic. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Helper dogs.
0: He serving, dog. serving dogs. Serving dogs. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <Yeah>. That's true. <laughs> I go with that. but, okay, so do you get the idea? What I want to do is not so much for my goal, my goal for you over these six months is not so much to give you these little snippets of tools and actions to take. Those are valuable, but they're only valuable if you know <laughs> why. They're valuable, mm. and how you can extrapolate from that mm. and think principle, because the principle will bring fifteen different ways in your mind of how to do that. Yeah. What is it? Teach a man to to what give a man a it?
3: fish. Give a man a fish a, a day. Teach a man a fish eat for life.
0: There you go. Yeah. So give a parent a technique, and they got through an incident. Mm. <laughs> give a parent a philosophy. And they've got techniques for a lifetime, you know, if you want to call it techniques, or they've got approaches that you've got, yeah. you know, your way to go forward. So okay. can I just clarify the sort of yeah. pattern
3: that I think I heard you say in terms of? All right, so we've got to, we we understand, you know, starting with the um, the godly traits that so we want to instill, mm-hmm. and knowing the ones, you know, that are highlighted by the, the counterpoint, the negative one that we observe. So we, can, you know, so start with the negative. Back it up to okay. The this positive, is the positive. This one is still okay. So then we think okay, great. We've got a habit of perseverance. Yeah. And so that's you know that that manifests as like stick to a task until it's finished. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote down sort of like three steps. One is like preparing them for success. So all right, you know, you kind of you're you're about to do this thing. We know we always fin you know finish what we start. Right, right. Okay, even if we get tired. Okay, so you have that little conversation. That's like prepare for success. Mm-hmm. Step one. Step two is like right size the task. So you know, pick something that's the appropriate amount of time or challenge level and so that they leave, like, positive okay. and smiling, laughing, whatever. And then I think the third part, which I don't have as clear, is, like, is there a way to, is there, like, a re- reinforce the message or something, like, kind of a way to tie it up? Um,
0: okay, that that's a good thing to bring up. So I just I just finished a, a really good book. It was written, it's not a new book, you know, it's maybe 18 years old. old or something called Great Expectations. And um, there's so much good stuff in there. There's there things that I thought, eh, I got my big X through there, you know. But but there's just well, there's just a lot of good stuff. And then I also figure uh, read a, a book that had uh, on rewards and reinforcement. Um, so let me just speak to the business of the. I don't know if you meant by tying it all together, or if you were looking for a positive way reinforcement. Yeah, is there at the end,
3: concluded, or is it just like, oh, okay, you finished cutting the potato. hop down. Thanks for your help. Yeah. Bye
0: bye. All right. That's pretty much it okay. is what I would say, mm-hmm. because if you get into the, parents do super praise. We talked about this, right? Parents do super praise of children. It's just our habit. We're so of them, and they're so and we are so pulling for them to do the right things at the right time, and so it's us. wow, that was great! You go, honey, he just like put a fork on the table, you know? <laughs> so, so it's like the kids, kids feel that. They'll, they'll act like they're drawing it, but now you're, you're doing it because you're trying to build self-esteem, and you're trying to give them positive reinforcement. Like if you put the fork on there once, if I really go gaga over this, you'll put the fork on there twice! You know, you want to do it tomorrow night, right? And it's a total backfire. Every study that I've been able to read and look at says the business of looking to give all that positive reinforcement actually gets a child off of their internal deep satisfaction of accomplishment and on to reward seeking. This is one of the main positive aspects of an Ambleside education and Charlotte Mason's philosophy of education. She knows that a child is born a person. The person is hungering for competence. And in that competence itself is the deep reward God has built into the soul of an individual to keep them moving forward to greater competence. It is a self-satisfying, self-rewarding internal mechanism God has in the, in the, in the heart of a child. If you start distracting them from that, and substituting artificial rewards, you'll addict them to artificial rewards, you'll take them out of their God-given, strong drive for competence, and wean them over, you know, or what's the word? You know, I'll transfer them over onto going, gotta have a sticker on the chart, because I went pee in the toilet. You know, gotta have a something, right? So we actually inadvertently start doing these tacky, useless Artificial, gotta have it from somebody else because we're building their self-esteem, kind of thing. Versus just letting them be satisfied with a job well done. They know they did a job well done, you know. Or you can just say to them, "Wow, that was a job well done." You know, you feel good about doing that job. You should. That was a job well done. You know. Or you, you state. You know what I noticed? And you didn't even say it at the time. Like, you, so you're working on your perseverance, right? And they stay with the task, and you're tucking them in at night, and you're kind of telling their story, and you're laughing, and you're talking a little bit, and snuggling up, and you go, you know what, I just wanted to tell you, I just thought about this. I noticed that when you were chopping that potato, you looked like you were getting a little tired, like it was kind of a big potato. But I noticed that you stuck to it, and you finished it. High five, dude. You know, that's called perseverance. Say that word, perseverance. They love to say big words. Perseverance, right? <laughs> right? And that's it. That's it. you do not even given at the time, right? But you're, so what you're cultivating, you know your principle is, what you want to cultivate in the child is a completely self, you know how we talk about a child who can't self-comfort, right? We're talking about that with Joss, right? Saying she can't, goes in her crib and cries because somehow she can't comfort yourself so take that awareness that's an awareness a self comforting a self sense of satisfaction a self sense of well being they don't need you you shouldn't addict them to needing everybody else's opinion about what they've done to feel good about it you've now weakened them in every way that is a big mountain come up in the middle of their life that you're going to have to get down so just don't mess it up in the first place. <laughs> Stay mm-hmm. out of the way. Don't put a hindrance, right? Yeah. So let self-satisfaction be self-satisfaction because mm-hmm. it's good and righteous and very will serve them well. Mm-hmm. I don't need my boss yeah. to come by and tell me seven times I'm doing a good job or I'll feel crap about myself, mm-hmm. right? I don't need that. Yeah. Um, Will's daddy time, just a dance. Okay, no, that's (laughs) yours. Sorry, for those of you listening, that's on her phone. (laughs) Okay, so I just want to make sure it wasn't somebody saying, come for Will's. Okay. (laughs) So, um, anyway, okay, enough said. Any questions about that? How you can work that? Back off the artificial praise, stay away from tacky rewards. You know, Well, it's helpful,
3: I think, especially just to disconnect in time. So, so there's not like a conclusion where, okay, I finished a task and I, I need to have some kind of external validation. Mm-hmm. But I love to sort of later on, like, oh, by the way, I noticed this. Because they love to be seen. Right? Yes. They love to, yeah. um, and then you kind of are reinforcing the principle that you talked them at the beginning, which is, right. remember, we finished tasks.
0: And we always do things, I mean, we all do, I still do it as a grandma, you know, and then you go, there I am again, right? Mm-hmm. So, but the business of feeling like we should comment on a child's behavior all the time, like they somehow they need our comment, mm-hmm. they jump over a log, wow, good job, right? you're jumping over that log, you're so fast, you're so something, you go, what would your life be like if everybody around you was commenting on your behavior? <laughs> Just Treat them like another person, right? Like you would treat any other person. Wouldn't you hate it if it, you went to work and some, you know, everywhere you went, some nurse was saying, "Well, you just put that IV in, so great." Or, "Ah, oh, I like the way you smiled at that person." That was so reinforcing. You would like it if
2: someone said that. <laughs> I don't I don't have IV skills, so that's- <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, <beautiful. laughs> <laughs> the first
0: time. Yeah, yeah, But you know, you know what I'm saying? The idea of somebody just watching you all the time. So what about
2: when they're when they're asking for your attention, like saying, Hey mommy, look what I did. Like yes. I still praise them for
0: that? Like, you can you know, I you just it, don't
2: make it like the biggest deal. You
0: don't make it like a big yeah. deal. Yes. Yeah. Or even just saying, um, I'd love to see you having fun instead of commenting on the let let what they're doing satisfy them. You know, they made something great. Even just comment and saying, I bet that felt great to get that done. If you know, something, start re- reimagining your language so that it's not this thing that makes a child highly self-conscious. So here we have the business of, of on here, um, one of those character traits. Um, being... Um, Talking self aware, being just being not so self consumed, right? Being other focused. But how can they be other focused when they stay the center of attention, your attention all the time? So they're everything they're doing, you're watching. It's very important for children that they, we all want to watch them. They're so blasted cute, right? But a child who is honestly on a, our screen. All the time on the big screen of mom and daddy, and their eye. They know you'll see a child looking over now for a while. like, "Are you watching me? Watching me now? Watching me now?" And you go, "Yeah, I'm watching you now. I'm watching that. I'm watching that." You know, and you go, "Oh, that is like robbing the autonomy of a child to just live their life and not be your screen time." <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. It's just it's de- it's dehumanizing. And yet, and we we don't we just pass it right by. We don't even think about it. We just um, that part of it is really not good for a child's soul, and you end up having to wind your way back and undo the fact. So if you're going to watch them, most of the time, try and do it when they're they they do not see you <laughs> watching. God, look at you! You're so cute. But then when you notice that they're going to turn around, busy yourself, do something. Otherwise, they they just they live life to be a show. Now what have I put in their soul? Yeah. They can't just live life. They're just so, we've, we've actually conditioned them to be absolutely self-conscious. Does she think this is cute? Does she like that? Does he like this? You know, they've lost their ability just to live their life in peace, doing what they want to do. So is the principal
3: there um, sort of comment on the intrinsic satisfaction that you're hoping they're having? So like comment on, wow, it looks like you're really having fun doing yeah. that. And sort of
0: name what you hope Or was that fun? Yeah. Versus, you know, you don't have to be the yeah, one who's the, who's the commenter. Mm-hmm. You can just go, you know, did you feel good about doing that? Mm-hmm. You know, or did you...
3: So you're, you're getting them to focus on their intrinsic yeah, feeling yeah. Um, versus... Or you can say, I'll bet, operation. I'll
0: bet that, I bet that felt great mm-hmm. to get that job done. Mm-hmm. That was a lot of work. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So not all the time. It's okay to say, that was great. You know, I'm so proud of you, and I love this. You do such a wonderful job, on absolutely. It's just that we are like so overboard. It's every little thing. Good job, buddy. Good job, you know. Wow, super, whatever. It, it, it does not serve the soul of the child well in the long run. Um, Okay, so we have about eight minutes here, and any more questions, interaction, um, I want you to think about the mealtime business because if you get it around mealtime, if you get the application of the principles I'm trying to give you around one thing, don't make it so broad, like I can apply this here and there and there. Just think about the mealtime. All these characteristic traits, right, that you got and you're gonna make more, <laughs> um, and you're looking and saying, what's the name, and you're writing down the negatives, and anytime you see there, you've got your trigger, a negative going, Wow, got to jump into the positive, right? I'm not going to let it pass and think it's just a childish thing. I've got to to make my plan, right? So now I've got my little thing that's intentional parenting going, here's an activity. How can I teach this quality, this trait, you know, that we need to begin dealing with, right? And now focus it on your mealtime. And the reason that I don't say just mealtime, but I say meal prep and meal cleanup, is because the child, your children, should be a part of all of that. And, and then we're gonna extrapolate that into all of life. Competence is your greatest tool for cooperation and growth for your child, playing on their, on their competence. They might, their flesh might resist you, you know, the human flesh doesn't want the right thing, so you might have some resistance, especially with older children, I don't want to do my chores or whatever. Now you've got to back it up and go, okay, how do I run that through a prism? I don't want to do that. I just do my prism thing. I go, what's involved in that? I don't want to help everybody. Cause I may have to roll it back and figure out, you know, why does he not feeling like a part of this family? Why is he not feeling responsible for what happens in this family? How have I bred a sense of autonomy when it should be a sense of community in this child, right? All of a sudden, the prism starts to explain to me, ah, so if I want this to end, I need to whip over here and begin to work on a sense of community versus autonomy. You know, how do I do that? Training, language, you know, environment, the tools that I have. It's a lot of thinking. So pray for good night's sleep, <laughs> and give yourself, you know, breaks, <laughs> and and all of that. But at the same time, it, it is a job to be the proxy of God's Father God in this child's life. It's a full time job. <gasps> so anything you would like to be talking about on the Monday night call? Any anything or the next anything you want to be bringing up I'm just kind of some of the things that you guys spoke about f- of parenting weaknesses and parenting strengths and then um, the three behaviors with your children and stuff I'm just trying to kind of keep those in mind and work them in um, organically as we talk rather than zero in on each of them but I want to make sure you get what you want
3: I think peacefully receiving no mm-hmm. is a really
0: good okay I universal one mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah. So run that through. When when you know we'll talk about it more. But now take your take what we learned. You're going to take. So he he throws a temper tantrum, or he just gets mad, or um, says no, or scowls, or you know what what's the manifestation of that? He's not peacefully receiving no, right? What's the heart attitude? that is being expressed. And you're going to look down that list and you're going to go, so what's in a heart attitude of not peacefully receiving? No. And you're going to, you're going to go, Oh, it's this one, it's this one, it's this one, this one. Right. When I run it through the prison. <sighs> wow. Destiny breaker is right there. Mom on duty. Right. So now you look over at those positive traits and you begin to say, what's the counter to that? And then how am I going to build that which is like putting the foundation under the house if you're always kind of looking at a house that where, you've, where the foundation is crumbling you're never going to get your results the house is still going to tilt right mm-hmm. so you go back down and say what's involved in the human soul that will not peacefully receive no mm-hmm. and as you yeah
2: because um, one of the things Jan's taught us with, with Ellie mm-hmm. is um, it's the training to get her in the right habit forming so going back And practicing what it would have looked like it it would have happened the right way or he would have said yes. So after there's a tantrum, let the tantrum work itself Mm -hmm. out and then having go back to the exact same point that you were and just say, Hey, we're gonna practice what we should have done, or yeah. how we could have done that in a better yeah. way, and, yeah, um, so that's really seemed to help. Ellie is mm-hmm. actually going mm-hmm. through the process, yeah, of trying it again, and yeah. Like, yeah, that was great, that's that's how we're going to do it next time, and yeah, uh, but then also sometimes prepping her ahead of time yes. for when we know they're going to be in those situations, hey, we practice mm-hmm. this, we know how to do this, yeah, so yeah, those plans mm-hmm. have been a
0: great, yeah, for us. The training, so that I, I'm so glad you brought that up. So, the whole thing of. Remember, we, we start talking about the neurology mm-hmm. and the rut, yeah. right? So if you have a bad rut, mm-hmm. you know, a rut that's going in the, the wrong neurological channel, you've just cut a swath through mm-hmm. there where they've done something wrong, mm-hmm. the best thing you can do is not let another one go through the wrong way and another one go through the wrong way. But the moment there's been one the wrong way, mm-hmm. always get it done the right way. Mm-hmm. So you're countering that so however long it takes so um i actually saw ben do this i, I just because it just quickly comes to my mind but here was maddie at church and he was saying maddie we need to get in the car right now now there were some things wrong about this and you can always be perfect get it better but so he's you know maddie we need to get in the car and they maddie was kind of running around in the foyer and then he was distracted and he was kind of talking he said maddie you need to go to mom we need to get in the car right so it was like three or four times which was not good because you're looking for first time obedience, right? And that first time obedience, if your children are not obeying the first time, it's because you've taught them not to. Mm-hmm. So, own it. <laughs> so that was, you know, teaching or not, she didn't have to do it until finally he said, the time when she really knew he meant it, right? Mm-hmm. But but what he did was, she I think she said something, no, or whatever, and then he actually went to her and he said, um, Okay, so here, let's try this again, right? And then she actually said, oh, okay. So he, she stood back and he said, Maddie, it's time to get in the car. And she said, okay. And then she left. But he brought her right back to the physical spot where she had blown it, mm-hmm. right, for that part of it. So literally you now, I, I love that because you've got the imprinting of I'm in the exact space mm-hmm. with the exact choice to be made and now I've made the right choice. Mm-hmm. If she had made that right choice in another room, it wouldn't have not as been as strong a training. Yeah. You bring them right back to the spot, the physical spot, because your body, soul, and spirit, right? Mm-hmm. And your body actually begins to imprint, mm-hmm. right? It's all connected. So bring them right back to the same spot and, and just have, make sure they leave with the successful mm-hmm. experience of doing it the right way. Do you
3: have quick advice on... I, I've, I... I've started to do a little bit of. Yeah. Um, That's understand.
0: okay. You go, go ahead. Uh,
3: but just uh, like try that again, uh-huh. and I think I'm I'm doing it too close to the yes because then, then he learns to get. Try child, that again can...
0: is not a good. You don't yeah. want to use that. Say I that. I've heard people say yeah. that, but mm-hmm. I have never found. You got to really know how to work that one right, yeah. because it in some ways it's it's a threat to a child, and it comes right down to for example in meals the, when I said the business of. A child, for example, never saying thank you or please or whatever. But they have trained, your child has now trained you to be the one who reminds them to say right. thank you and please. Yes. So it's the same way with try that again.
3: Because they've already... They, they
0: you understand. have just, they have, they have just trained you right. to give them a second option.
3: Right. So I'm trying to figure out how to um, how to reinforce, how to give them the option of the, like, imprint the right
0: behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, First, you have to tell them. Well, they, she's that saying you
1: still lost it are, and you can practice it again, but it doesn't change the outcome. Mm-hmm. That's the difference.
0: Well, but say, yeah. for example, saying that try that again mm-hmm. is a way to. I, I, you can use it, but I would use it very little. Yeah. Because ultimately, the child is just getting a second. I know you have to leave, okay. Julie, so I have a third. That's okay. I made a promise. Yes. Okay. Uh, so I'm rip all your pages out. I'm not afraid okay. to
4: through I through <laughs> to yeah, uh, reinforcement because you we were talking about not reinforcing like you gonna, I don't know, Zigger charm yeah. but my my middle child hasn't slept since he was born. So mm-hmm. I said, Dude, I'm willing to do anything <laughs> He said, I wish <laughs> you a Snoopy snuggle doll. Anything yeah. and he just wanted to Snoopy snuggle. And I he didn't. He slept yeah. in the night and I was amazed because he hasn't yeah. since he was yeah. born and so I was at the mall into my car. And I'm like, Snoopy doll. My husband said, you have to bring it home. I was like, where am I going to find a Snoopy doll? Anyways, all that said, homework was amazing. I had a bunch of Snoopies, if you ever need to know. <laughs> so I, mean, I got out of my car. sat that thing about not wanting to get out of my car, because I already packed the other kids. I got out of my car, got the Snoopy doll, and Mike changed. He changed because Mommy followed through. Mm-hmm. So, so I mean I value the don't always give them the sticker like good job yeah. it. but that one thing for him, he saw that mommy could follow through with a promise she made. Yeah. And it's something that I really struggle with because I can get.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's that's good. So I
4: just wanted to share that. That actually that reinforced mommy's follow through. Yeah. And he slept four or five nights in a row after that. He's yeah. going back to not saying so when he really got sick right after. Mm. But there's hope.
0: Yeah. And you know, the whole thing, you need to know, we all know it, but we need to remind each other, nothing is black and white. And so that's why I want to talk principle and not just the technique because you can get so legalistic with a technique that you lose the ability to draw from Proverbs 8 that gives you the wisdom where it says in Proverbs 2 wisdom is going to give you the ability to do every fair and equitable and right thing at the right time right so that Times are different. Kids are different. Situations are different. But as a principle, get your principles down so you don't jump the road. You know. Yeah. So good. Thank you for sharing that. Good to have you, Julie. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll try to um, get connected to the
4: computer. Good. Yes. Yes. My yes. husband fell asleep, and then someone woke up throwing up. So I was like, we'll just yeah. Uh, uh, well, <laughs> you know what? Let's <laughs> let's
0: try it you and I together before the Monday. Okay. That's what I did with Susan. Yeah. When my husband's
3: not Yeah. <laughs> so, um. So it like partly it's like let the outcome play out in the in terms of like not getting, you know, whatever. If you forgot to say it or you said it in the wrong way, like let that play out uh, in terms of the consequence, perhaps. Uh-huh. Um, and then at a later point in time, allow. You can even, right I think, I can like, you
1: didn't, like the one you had in your example was like, okay, you forgot to say please for dessert or whatever, right? So it's like, okay, well, we're going to have to, you know, skip dessert for tonight because, you know, we didn't say please. But, you know, we're on track for dessert tomorrow night, right? And, um, when, we, when we use please, like, why don't we practice what that looks like? Like, could you do it that way? Uh-huh. So you're still, like, you still, you, you haven't taken the consequence away and told them I'm going to tell you the second or third time you still get what you want. But you were able to then still practice the right.
0: Now, if you're going to practice, I would not practice in the heat of disappointment. Okay. That will never serve you well. Um, having them redo something they've done wrong, like you were talking about, that's a very positive thing. But when you're talking about, now I'm going to train. So I want to have them have a successful meal the next time. So before dinner, you just kind of go, oh, just thought of something, right? Let's practice this, right? So then you're sort of, you come alongside and you become the friend of the child to help them achieve their growth goal. They wouldn't put in those words, but that's what you're doing. She so comes come alongside and go, I just remembered the business about the please. Let's practice because, you know, I know you can do it, right?
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And, um, and then you do it. Somebody, you know, the other parent, or you do it yourself, or it'd probably be better if the other parent did it. Thank God for moms and dads. And, um, and then you practice it beforehand, set him up for success. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't do it at the time to say, okay, now say please, but you're not getting it now. Until tomorrow, the good thing you practice, you know, and all of a sudden, this swirling contention and adversarial thing yeah. gets in here. You're not a friend now. You're the yeah. That makes sense.
1: Well, it feels like I guess a little bit intention though, because like that one did. principle feels like. The sooner after they do it wrong, you can model doing it right, the better because you leave the yes. wrong pattern in there for less time. Yes. Like that feels like principle. Exactly. But then it also feels a little bit in conflict with, but oftentimes there should have been consequences with doing it the wrong way and therefore if I have to wait to not do it the right way in the pain of the consequence, it feel, those feel a little bit competing in terms of how they soon aren't. I should uh, role play the right one.
0: They are. So where you, have to, where you have to make the distinction here is are you training or correcting?
1: Okay.
0: So if you're training, your training is gonna be your training for success. A correction has to be something where, how do I explain it? Okay, so let's stick to, to they didn't say please. So for that, if, if a child, you know they know, they have all the brain cells to know very early on you know, a two-year-old can very easily remember to say please and thank you, you know, because you've trained them to do it. And the way you do it is honestly they don't get what they're asking for. It's just simply, they just don't get it unless they say please, you know. And so it's just because, and you know, and you're, the thing is you don't scowl. You just go, uh-oh, forgot, didn't you? Well, we'll try tomorrow night. Mm. And that's it. Sweet, bright-faced, warm, nonplussed about the whole thing Uh uh-oh forgot and then they'll go and then every parent will say go want to try again say please there they get the ice cream so what'd you do you just trained them that you're going to tell them to say please and they're going to get it and they'll do that until the cows come home Mm -hmm. so it's just a very simple thing that you set a rule you have expectation that's well within the capability of any you know, two-year-old or 18-month-old, even you know, if they're, they're at all verbal, right? But they us say two-year-old to do that, and you just there's no there's no question about it, and so that's that's the last time I'll ever not say please, and it's done. Check that off your list. Move on. I mean, mm-hmm. I know parents who are dealing with that, just ir- so irritated. You know, why do I have to keep reminding him? Well, you taught them, you know. Very simple to unteach. Just you don't know, say please. You don't get it. But you don't do that as a as a scolding, like you know oh, you didn't say please, and so that's it. It's just a natural consequence. That's gone, whoops, forgot. But I know you can remember it tomorrow night. And then uh, you know it just they don't get it. So go, do go through in terms of meals. Do go through that. Just it really was just right off the top of my head. Going bam, bam, bam. And here's like fifteen things you know that would make meal times. Potentially pick and choose out of there. You know what could help you, yes. but the whole idea of not putting food on the table, huge step forward <laughs> to having a good meal because they're not looking at the bread. They'll always want the bread. They'll yeah. always want the rice. They'll always want the mashed potatoes. You know because we know it's addicting, right? This is Ian gets <laughs> it. yeah. Yeah. So anyway, go through that list and begin to say, okay, do any of those now trigger those character traits? So let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this time. And I pray, Lord, that um, again, wisdom, knowledge, understanding, discernment, sensitive, obedient heart to each of these parents, Lord. I pray, Father, for the joy of parenting to come alive, Lord, because inside of these parents you have made this insatiable obsession for competence. (laughs) And it feels good when you do the right thing at the right time with that child. (laughs) And so, Lord, I just thank you for giving them the joy of parenting. Um, You give us the responsibility and the weight of being your proxy, Um, but you also give us your joy. You said, I came that your joy may be full and my joy is abundant, you said. And so, Lord, I thank you. There is joyful parenting, um, great deep satisfaction along with the learning curve that uh, involves frustration and a requirement for diligence and stretching and all of those things. So thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, um, be their teacher, be their trainer. Call to mind what they need at any given moment in Jesus' name. Hey, okay. there you go. So and I want to you- give